0: This program is paid for by your radio doctor LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of your radio doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm
1: Lisa Thomas Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk
3: Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter, always live. On the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
4: Listen, seven months or 10 months is an
5: absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine.
3: Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
6: Good evening, and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's baseball season, and when Philly superstar Bryce Harper injured his thumb, we were reminded that every digit counts. Joining us this evening is Dr. Moody Kwok, from the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. He specializes in hand surgery. He's a clinical assistant professor of orthopedics at Temple University School of Medicine, and he's here to discuss common injuries of the hand, including sports injuries, and diseases that cause pain and dysfunction in the hand and rest. Welcome, Moody.
7: Thank you for having me, Marianne, Dr. Richie. Thanks
6: for joining us. There is so much to discuss. Let's start with uh, what we call neuropathies. I always remind my listeners that uh, when a word ends with Pathy. It's pathology means abnormal uh, disease or abnormality. So, we're going to talk about nerve injuries that cause symptoms in the hand.
7: Yes, uh, you know it's it's certainly a great way to start it because you know one of the most common things we see in the office is carpal tunnel syndrome, Um, and also it's also one of more recognized uh, hand problems that that is in the lay population. So everybody comes in uh, talking about carpal tunnel. Is this carpal tunnel? Is that carpal tunnel? So uh, it's certainly a great way to start this conversation. Um, so to, to start off with carpal tunnel syndrome is in, within this family of what we call entrapment neuropathies. Now that is, uh, neuropathy means that the nerves aren't working well, and that can come from a lot of different things, right? Uh, certainly uh, nerves don't work well if they get compressed or injured. Uh, And uh, carpal tunnel syndrome is a good example of that. That is, there's a nerve that is on the palmar side of the wrist. um, And I I tell my patients, it's almost like a a tunnel that has a tarp on top of it. Um, And the tarp is the roof of the tunnel. And as we get older, the tarp gets drier. It used to have a lot of play and laxity. Uh, and, and the softness to it, but when it gets hard, it really pushes down on the contents of that tunnel and that carpal tunnel uh, includes um, nine tendons, the tendons that bend your thumb and the eight tendons that bend your four fingers uh, and also the, the I, ca- I call it the princess nerve. It's surrounded by these the hooligans that compress it all the time and so when that tunnel gets smaller from the tarp being tighter um, the nerve doesn't work well and we call that carpal tunnel.
6: So for our listeners, the carpal tunnel is sort of a band in your wrist that keeps everything organized. Those tendons that let us bend and flex and the nerve endings and the arteries and vessels all travel through that tunnel to keep it all aligned. And I guess really when we think about it, if your nerves are fed from the spinal cord, if a person has compression or or pressure on a nerve in their elbow, forearm, or wrist, anywhere along the way from the neck down, there can be an issue, right?
7: You're exactly right. Um, you know, I, I like to tell my patients, it's like a, a garden hose, where, where a garden hose comes out of your house, uh, and it, you know, it goes all the way to the corner of the yard, where you, you spray the, the, the water on the flowers, and the, here, the fingers being the flowers, and at any point along the road, if there's a compression, or somebody steps on the garden hose, why, uh, it wouldn't work well, and no, no water travels to the flowers. So, in this case, mm-hmm. in the upper extremity, it could be the carpal tunnel, which is at the wrist. It could be the cubital tunnel, which is the, at the elbow, or it could also be your neck. Exactly to your point.
6: Mm-hmm. And so, how do you tell if somebody has, say, a disc? The cervical area is the neck, the neck vertebrae. How do you tell if somebody has a, a spur or a slip disc in the neck that's causing that numbness in the in the hand or forearm versus that localized wrist as a source?
7: That's a great question. And so so for most doctors, uh, surgeon, doctors, uh, practitioners, uh, we will start off with the history of it. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, clues can be uh, told to us by the patients. That is, you know, people that, you know, when they hold and grip something and it really makes them numb, well, that sounds more like carpal tunnel. Uh, people, when they sleep and they, they bend their wrists when they're sleeping, well, that sound, that's more like carpal tunnel. Now, when people say, I, I want to I move my neck, I, there's a shock that goes down my shoulder and into my fingers. That's a little bit more like the neck. And so we differentiate by hearing the patient, uh, but also exam too. We'll tap the nerve at the wrist and see if it zings into the fingertips. Same thing with the elbows. Uh, we'll maneuver, sometimes we'll maneuver the neck to see if it provokes it. But those exam maneuvers can also uh, delineate uh, one place versus the other.
6: Mm -hmm. And I think you raise such an important point. We are constantly teaching our medical students, residents, fellows, listen to what the patient tells you. Ask the questions. The answer is often right in the history when a person says, well, I drive a jackhammer at work, or I play the piano and I'm a piano teacher or whatever it is that if they have repetitive uh, activity in that area, that might steer you to consider carpal tunnel versus some other issue because other people might have nerve damage from, say, diabetes, right? Or they're getting chemotherapy or HIV treatment that can affect nerves. And uh, it's a different picture, but we have to think of those things as well, right?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, back to the, the garden hose analogy, you know, entrapment means that somebody's stepping on your garden hose at some point, right? But another way of your nerves not working is that they just simply don't want to work without compression, without a pinching. Um, that certainly goes in the category of, you know, diabetics, uh, people that have diabetes, their nerves don't work really well. Uh, as we get older, or you know, people are shocked sometimes that our knees can get older, but our nerves can get older too, and they just simply don't work as well as they used to. And to your point about chemotherapy and any kind of like uh, cytotoxic agents, you know, uh, those uh, chemicals and chemotherapies can um, influence and and decrease the uh, the use or, or function of nerves. Uh, because they they attack the nerve cell. So it's not uncommon that people have numbness in their fingertips from having had chemotherapy for uh, breast cancer, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can be differentiated uh, uh, with a nerve test. Uh, It's hard to differentiate that sometimes with with, uh, compression or exam tests. But there's a nerve test that tells us is it the distribution of the carpal tunnel nerve, is it the distribution of the neck nerves, or is it all the nerves are, are just not working. If all the nerves aren't working, that points us toward more of a diabetic picture or a, or a chemotherapy picture uh, or an aging uh, factor.
6: Mm-hmm. And I think B12, vitamins B12 and folate are those that can, if they're too low, I mean, I see patients who have celiac disease or certain disorders that they don't absorb the GI tract, the sponge isn't working well. And if you're low in B12 or folate, that can damage your nerves as well. Um, but I wanted to, I, I love what you just mentioned. What would a patient know? The, the median nerve, if I'm right, is the nerve that when it's affected causes carpal tunnel, where would the patient feel numbness if that's the nerve that's affected?
7: That's great. So, if it's carpal tunnel, uh, the carpal tunnel nerve, uh, and like you said, the median nerve uh, affects sensation to the thumb, index, long, and the half of the ring finger. Whereas the uh, ulnar nerve, which is the kind of the little finger nerve, that affects the sensation to the little finger and half of the ring finger. So, the distribution mm-hmm. of that numbness can tell us a lot uh, about. Uh, which nerve is being uh, affected uh, now of course from person to person there is some variability but um, sure but that's why we kind of say hey it, the classic distribution is uh the thumb index long and ring half of the ring finger
6: mm-hmm. and it's so interesting of course unless it's yourself with the symptoms when we were students and we'd see a patient and we see you know you do the the um pin test to say can you feel this and Half the ring finger could not, and the other could. It's it's like watching a textbook come alive when you see that differentiation. So, other causes that can lead to carpal tunnel, which is uh, you know relatively common, I guess. Maybe uh, people who are a little bit overweight might cause pressure in that tunnel, or you mentioned diabetes, certain types of arthritis, underactive thyroid.
7: Yeah, so so all those things. You no, know, I think there's consensus uh, among hand surgeons that there's just so many variables that kind of add to the pool of things that can cause carpal tunnel syndrome. For example, pregnancy, right? So everything's mm-hmm. swollen um, and all the tendons are swollen. And so um, that certainly in the third trimester of pregnancy is another reason why people have, uh, can have carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, and so, you know, the treatment for obviously a, a pregnant woman would be just temporizing, um, you know, injections or bracing. Um, but if it's chronic beyond pregnancy, like, you know, as we get older, we get carpal tunnel, then we think about, uh, injections and then surgery, uh, as a last resort.
6: So in general, do you see it a little more often in women? Maybe the tunnel's a little smaller and then add pregnancy and that sort of thing. Is it, a uh- Distributed more into women than men Or hard to say um, it, it,
7: I think certainly like You know Pregnant women get it a lot um, I think it equilibrates uh, As we get older Between the sexes But uh, but cert- again uh, There's certainly a, a, Even sometimes A genetic component to it as well so.
6: mm-hmm. Let's take a little break And we'll be right back With Dr. Moody Kwok From Rothman Orthopedics
8: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. Today we're going to talk about binge drinking. A lot of people want to know, what is binge drinking? People who binge drink actually don't usually have substance use disorders or alcohol use disorder, but it's incredibly dangerous. So binge drinking is defined as drinking to a blood level of 0.08 or higher within a couple of hours. That's typically about five drinks for men and four for women. Now, if you're saying that sounds like normal drinking, right? Uh-uh. In the scope of the country, that's actually pretty heavy drinking all at one time. One in six people in the U.S. binge drink, and they binge drink on average four times a month, drinking seven drinks when they binge. That's over 17 billion binge drinks a year. The important thing to know about binge drinking is it can not only be harmful, it can actually be deadly. So when somebody binge drinks and their body's not used to that amount of alcohol, they can actually have an alcohol overdose. We're so familiar with opioid overdose, but there's alcohol overdose too, and it's just as dangerous. But also in addition to that, car crashes, violence, homicide, suicide, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies. There's a lot of harm that happens from binge drinking. So before you go out there and have a few more drinks than you expect, Give that some thought. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This
8: is a paid advertisement
6: back to your radio doctor. We're very pleased to be sharing a great conversation about hand injuries with Rothman orthopedic hand surgeon, Dr. Moody Quack. Moody, we were talking about carpal tunnel syndrome and your explanation really painted uh, a great image for listeners. And we talked about the different causes for it. I guess maybe we could also uh, say it's from overuse um, and there are other uh, conditions under that category of overuse. How would you categorize that?
7: Well, it's interesting uh, you bring that up because um, you know carpal tunnel syndrome is so popular in the lay um, media. Uh, it probably started in the 80s 90s when wellness was huge and people were trying to do ergonomic changes uh, at that time. And so carpal tunnel was brought to the forefront of it. So um, certainly malpositioning, uh, overtyping, overuse has been to some degree, implicated uh, in you know in causing some element of carpal tunnel, although not completely proven scientifically. But most people uh, agree that doing a lot, gripping, typing, will at least add to the notion of getting carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, in that same vein, there are other things that you can always overuse as well. For example, uh, if you type a lot, if you grip a lot, you can develop trigger fingers. Uh, trigger fingers are... are uh, where the tendons, you know, don't have enough room, (coughs) excuse me, the, um, the tendons that bend bend your fingers, um, there are two to the index long and ring and small fingers. There's one tendon that bends the thumb, all those, those, all those tendons, uh, travel through these little, uh, tunnels, um, and they slide back and forth through these tunnels perfectly when we're younger. Uh, when we get older, uh, because of the repetitious use and the history and the number of times we bend and open our hands, uh, that they get thicker from age uh, and the the tunnels get tighter from age. And so they start rubbing. And when they start rubbing, the tendon gets thicker and they have a hard time fitting through. And sometimes the fingers click, lock and pop. And sometimes it could be quite excruciating. Uh, It's not uncommon. Somebody wakes up and their fingers kind of Uh, bent down and they have to unlock it with the other hand. And that's called a trigger finger.
9: Mm -hmm.
6: I think after all these years of performing colonoscopy (laughs) and you get into that rhythm where you do your surgeries the same way every time. And, and that's where you get your comfort zone. I, I can best complete this task if I do it the exact same way. And my right thumb is, you know, um, (laughs) it's starting to remind me that I've done over 10,000 colonoscopy exams, but uh, that makes perfect sense. You know, I was reading a little bit about carpal tunnel just to revisit that. Um, if a person needs surgery for that, I was reading that, um, oh gosh, probably more than 15 years ago, instead of the the typical surgery, is there a scope that, that can be used to correct a carpal tunnel issue uh, and make it uh, less invasive?
7: Yes. Uh, so the, one of the advents in carpal tunnel uh, surgery uh, has been an endoscopic uh, approach to it uh, where one or two small incisions are uh, made so that you can put a scope inside uh, the the tunnel and kind of cut mm-hmm. up on the tarp, so to speak, that ligament to release it as opposed to cut down on it from above from the skin. Um, so some studies show that um, return to work is a, a little quicker, um, but it's not um, universal yet only because I think that um uh, people have done it the mini open way for many years as well, and so there's just depending on uh, who your hand surgeon is um you know they they there's different philosophies about how to approach it, uh but certainly um there is gaining ground in the endoscopic approach to it
9: mm-hmm.
6: i I saw that nice my endoscopic mind was drawn to ask you about that, sure, so there there are different forms of arthritis. I think that's a really good message for people. We know osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis and they're different animals and we treat them differently let's talk about them a little bit
7: sure uh so arthritis is uh it's kind of a combination of aging and overuse imagine that you know you were a a car door and you open it uh 20 million times well at some point <laughs> it, it's, it stretches out the hinge right and so our joints are the same way i tell my patients joints are like brakes in your car every time you pinch something you are kind of kind of eroding a microscopic layer of cartilage off, theoretically, and so after you own your car for ten years, why the brakes worn out, and you you, you kind of start to hear the squeak, so to speak, and that's a good mm-hmm. analogy. Uh, while you're you know while you're wearing away the arthritis in your fingertips uh, from using it, we call that wear and tear arthritis or osteoarthritis. Um, there's another type you know, in the in a, in a general sense of rheumatoid uh, arthritis or arthritis that um, it's more about not wear and tear, but where your body has um, these uh, kind of, uh, uh, you attack your own lining of your joints. Uh, and so your immune system starts to attack your own joints. It's unfortunate, but sometimes that happens. And there, it, the final outcome is the same. That is, you erode the cartilage. But in this case, you kind of attack your own cartilage, cartilage cells mm-hmm. as, po- as opposed so it's, to uh, Yeah.
6: In that family of autoimmune, meaning your your immune system's attacking yourself. With that, then, uh, I mean, maybe things have changed. But as a, as a student, as a resident, I remember the the path was if you have an inflammatory, a rheumatoid arthritis, or maybe even psoriatic arthritis, would that be considered inflammatory? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people with psoriasis get arthritis. The inflammatory arthritis, you're going to just keep somebody on treatment because if you don't, then the inflammation can cause deformity and claw hands for better for work, better expression. Versus osteo, maybe we treat the symptom. If you're in pain, take some nonsteroids. Is that a too broad of a generality?
7: No, that's actually a great way to kind of think about it. Like you know, um, rheumatologists are the medical doctors of arthritis. And they, they usually mm-hmm. see the patients before we do, because, you know, by the time hand surgeons get to see uh, these patients, it's really where the cartilage is mostly worn away. Uh, if it's wear and tear, it's mostly worn away. However, if it's rheumatoid, um, a lot of times they've seen the rheumatologist and uh, the, the role of the rheumatologist is, is to use medical agents, either injections, infusions, or medications to hope to kind of either halt or slow down the process in which our body attacks our own joints. Uh, nonetheless, no the final outcome of either path to arthritis is once you get to the point where it's bone-on-bone or people can't live with it, then we start thinking about surgery. Uh, surgery comes in a couple of different manners. It all depends on which joints are arthritic. Uh, some joints we fuse so they don't move anymore. Uh, other joints we replace so that you, you maintain motion. Um but uh, it depends on where the location and how each joint is used.
6: Well, we're so fortunate that hand surgery is a specialty now because it is a distinct set of um, diseases and behaviors and, and all those good things. So we're lucky that we have you in Philadelphia. So if a person has long-term osteoarthritis or wear and tear arthritis, what causes those bumps at the the distal joints in the fingers?
7: Those tips, so, so the natural history of arthritis is that, again, you wear away the cartilage. In the mid-portion of, uh, of the wear and tear, you have swelling, so you can have bogginess of those joints. Um, and then the bone actually responds with growing bone spurs. You heard this, the, you know, it's a very common term, bone spurs. Those spurs, when they grow, um, distribute the force a little bit, but they also look prominent. And that's the, the knobs that you see at the very... My father had them uh, when he was seventy-two, so uh, they're very common. Uh, the knobs are indicative of arthritis or the bone spurs.
6: Mm-hmm. So they're called Heberden's nodes. Correct. Right. So you know, it, to our listeners out there, if you have them, they're a they're a badge of courage. Right. That's <laughs> that's cool to have Heberden's nodes. It means you've been there and you've been Hard using your joints. Or work
7: did you have in sense?
6: So I wanted to take our our couple minutes we have left to talk about a different degenerative condition that might lead to bumps in the palm of your hand. What would we call that, Moody? So,
7: so the bumps in your hand, in your palm, are a little different. That's not arthritis. You're right. Some patients come in thinking that that's arthritis. But the bumps in your palms, it's called Dupuytren's uh, nodules. Um, it's a kind of a natural history of some cells in our bodies called myofibroblasts that want to make gristle. And they're really gristle lumps. And the gristle lumps... Start in the palm. It's highly genetic. It's really uh, from people of European uh, ancestry, uh, and these mm-hmm. lumps, as they grow and get longer, become. Uh, they can actually pull your finger down and have, uh, and have you develop a contracture where you can't completely straighten your, out your fingers.
6: Mm-hmm. So you're in a flex position. So people, and I know, um, uh, I don't know if this is. Uh, part of it, but does the connective tissue under the palm, under the surface of your palm, does that get a little fibrotic or scarred? Does that yeah. add to it? Yes, that's exactly mm-hmm.
7: right. Those cells, those myofibroblasts are part of that layer uh, of the palmar fascia that really kind of causes uh, the Dupuytrens.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, and I in my reading, and I remember from med school that alcohol, especially if you overuse alcohol, that may increase your risk, and smoking doesn't help with any uh, conditions in your body. Um, is there a component of overuse leading to Dupuytrens?
7: Um It's mostly genetic, but you're right. Some metabolic uh, issues like smoking and, and drinking have been implicated. Some people even think that uh, there's a, a kind of a deviant genetic fat that may be uh, a culprit, but uh, it's multifactorial as well, but but highly, highly, highly genetic.
6: Feet, any other body parts that could be affected by this?
7: Yes. Uh, in, the, in the hand, it's called Dupuytrens. In the feet, it's called uh, Lederhosen's. And actually, it can even affect the penis.
6: Wow. So Lederhosen's, that makes sense. Um, real quickly, I saw an ad on TV recently that there's a non-operative therapy. I would think if that has any um, gravitas, it would have to be pretty early. Can we yeah. talk about that for a third yeah, that's,
7: that's for uh, isolated cords that are really prominent. Um, and at at certain joints, really where the joint of the finger meets the hand, those have been um, better treated, I'm I'm sorry, those have have been treated uh, with uh, this collagenase where we inject some collagenase or we uh, puncture it with a needle and and pop it open. Um, But it's not for every joint um, and it's not always completely predictable.
6: Let's take a little break and when we come back, we'll talk about hand fractures.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
4: This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, here to present you with your nutrition tip of the week. So this week, we're going to continue with our summertime favorites and focus a little bit about vacation. Let's now go to the beach. So save your your indulgences for the boardwalk and pack high fiber, high protein lunches and snacks for picnics on the sand. Think of fresh fruits, veggies, Greek yogurt. You can even do some low fat cheese, some turkey roll ups, peanut butter sandwiches or almond butter sandwiches and whole grain bread. These foods will keep you feeling full while giving you energy to participate in all your fun beach activities. Riding the waves, playing beach volleyball, throwing a frisbee, building sandcastles, hunting for beautiful shells on the shore, just taking a stroll by crashing the waves are all ways to keep you fit and active. So some of the particular veggies that you could pack would be some bell peppers, broccoli, cabbage, cucumber, and you could dip them with some low-fat salad dressing or even some Greek yogurt. They are all high in antioxidants, fibers, and vitamins. There's a great variety of fresh fruits in the summer. We have um, mangoes, pineapples, strawberries, all rich in vitamin C and also contain other vitamins like A, B, E, and K. These fruits are especially hydrating, such as melons and watermelons, and they're a great way to keep your potassium level high and hydrated. So, at the beach, the temperatures may not feel very hot because you have this cool breeze. But that being said, there's still dehydration, still can be a major concern. So, you want to make sure that you drink either water or have a fruit flavored. Beverage or a, a sports drink that includes your potassium and sodium to prevent dehydration. You could also do some fruit added to the to the uh, hydration beverages as well. You could buy a, a reusable water bottle and keep and keep it with you all the time to make sure you, as a reminder, to take sips regularly. This is Emily Rubin presenting you with your nutrition tip of the week. For more information, go to yourradiodoctor.com.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
8: Now. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to
5: diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com/slash ask bigger questions.
3: Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Now Saturday afternoons at five, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
0: This program is paid for by your Radio Doctor LLC.
3: Welcome back to your Radio Doctor
6: with Dr. Moody Quack. We are learning so much, Moody. Um And I like to focus now on fractures of the fingers or the hand or even the wrist. When a patient comes to you with a fracture, and I always remind my listeners, fracture doesn't mean little crack. Fracture means broken bone, right? I think people, sometimes that gets uh, misinterpreted. But what are your goals as a hand surgeon? You see somebody, you want to relieve their pain. You want to align that fracture, um, and you want to get them back to functioning as the uh, the mom, the dad, the athlete, the the musician. Tell us about that.
7: That's exactly right. So so fractures certainly uh, fill up a, a good goodly amount of our uh, patient slots. Uh, people certainly injure themselves, doing many, many things. Um, you know, uh, I, this week I saw somebody who broke their finger swinging off a uh, swing rope into the river and so oh. twisted his finger oh. and broke the finger. So it could be as um, radical as that. But also dog leashes cause a lot of uh, fractures. Certainly falls will do that. And, and certainly uh, athletic injuries will cause uh, a lot of fractures in the hands and wrists.
6: So um, I guess you can tell us what categories or scategories you think of when you see somebody open and closed fracture. When, when our listeners hear the word open fracture, it means that the bone has come through the skin. And I guess the message there is you have to get antibiotics within six hours? Is that the marker you give people because we don't want bacteria? Our skin has staph and strep on it naturally, right? And we don't want those cooties to walk into that um, opening in the skin and cause infection of the tissue or osteomyelitis, which is infection of the bone. Let's talk about that for a second.
7: Sure, yep. And so we categorize, very importantly, either it's an open fracture or a closed fracture. To your point, an open fracture means that you've broached the skin, um, and therefore, bacteria can burrow itself, right, beyond, down through the skin, through the tendon area, and into the joints, and even bones, etc. And so you don't want that. You're right. So we want to fight that battle against bacteria right away. When you have, when you have, whenever you have a, a broken bone or even a large laceration, you really should go to the emergency room, um, and they'll wash it out for you. They'll kind of uh, get some x-rays to assess it. Um, and they, uh, after they washed out, they will put some loose sutures sometimes, so that your skin uh, serves more of a barrier again uh, against bacteria. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Whenever you have, when you have an open fracture or a big laceration, you should go to the emergency room and get it checked mm-hmm. out right
6: away. And is six hours still the marker, or do we have more time than that? I would think that's pretty. Yeah, it-
7: yeah, I think most ER doctors will not close the wound after six to eight hours yeah. because at that point, you know, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, they leave it open uh, because the uh, not only can you have a bacteria uh, on the surface, but when you start closing the skin prematurely, you can bury those bacteria underneath. And that's sometimes worse.
6: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure depending where you're injured, let's say you work on a farm, you're more likely to have biocontamination or other bacteria that you wouldn't if you have a a clean cut from a knife or something like that. So then you have to concern yourself with, are the two fragments of bone, let's say you break your finger right in half, are the bones aligned? And you say that's displaced or non-displaced.
7: That's exactly right. So, you know, um, when people break their bones, um, we teach the medical students and, and residents that there are four things we think about. And the acronym Uh, or mnemonic is LARD, L-A-R-D. So L is for length. Oftentimes when you break a bone, because of the muscles contracting, it shortens. Mm. So that causes dysfunction. A is angulation. Imagine that if your bone is supposed to point north, but now it's pointing northeast, well, that's not going to work really well, and so that's (sighs) angulation. Rotation, if you took a bone and you twist it like a chalk, why, it spirals, and now your foot is not facing in front of you is rotated to the inside, that's rotation. That's not good either. Uh, same thing can happen with fingers and, 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 uh, and wrists. And the last thing is displacement. Uh, and that's what you alluded to. Uh, D is for displacement. That is, if one part of your bone is uh, here and the other part is three inches away, well, they're, they're not connected, they won't heal. So those, those four, four parameters are what we think about when we think about restoring anatomy and function. Um, Trying to get as close to normal anatomy is always our goal. Um, We do that with casts. We can do that with um, plates and screws and pins. Uh, That's certainly surgery, Um, and depending on those four parameters, uh, sometimes we can do it when we get by with casting or splinting, but sometimes if they're too displaced or rotated or angulated, then we have to uh, do surgery. Sure.
6: I mean, it's such an art form now. I remember when I was a medical student, my first summer after freshman year or first year, I worked in the physiology lab and um, Dr. Jim Hunter, was his the first hand center in the country, uh, Jeff? I think Dr. Jim Hunter, I don't know, but well, one of the first. He, yeah.
7: Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of the, uh, you know, one of the fathers of hand surgery. Yeah. In, but I think he was, uh
6: one of those who worked on the first tendon when you think about we're going to talk about tendon injuries in a second but um (laughs) i remember seeing they had a couple chimps up uh in the lab and uh we used to visit chucky and and uh i forget the the other chimps name but um bryce harper he's been in the news the beloved phillies player is there anything different about a fracture of the thumb. I'm not saying he had a fracture; he injured his thumb. We know that. We don't know anything more than that. But is there? Do you treat a thumb fracture any differently than a different finger?
7: Well, I think the the, the fundamentals are still the same. That is restoring the anatomy. You know, when, when something's broken, try to get as close uh, to its original state as possible, and that goes for the thumb and the four fingers. Uh, the thumb is interesting in in a sense that it's facing 90 degrees to the rest of your hand, right? So. Um, and so, if you look at your thumb, it can move in a circular fa- in a circular fashion, um, and it goes in two directions at, at the basal thumb joint. So that gives us our uh, opposable thumb. So we can pick things up. We're not cows. We can do mm-hmm. things. We can manipulate the environment, and that's great. Uh, and so, uh, in a way, the thumb is more forgiving because if it's a little angulated, um, why uh, you can make up for it by the wide range of motion your thumb gets to go through. Uh, but nonetheless, if you're an elite athlete like Bryce, um, you're still going to try to make uh, the anatomy as close to the original state as possible. And so um, mm-hmm. that's always going to be our goal, to, inc- uh, to certainly to, to make the function better and, and to some degree the cosmesis better mm-hmm. as
6: well. So if somebody's in a, a splint or even a cast, you're probably, uh, am I right to think that you're going to make the splint, you're going to put that finger or hand or wrist in a position of function, meaning you want it at just the right angle so that if there is any kind of contracture or freezing, which there won't be, if they go to rehab, we're going to give a hoorah for rehab. But when you set it in a splint or a cast.
7: Yeah. yeah. So, so cast and splints are um, primarily reserved for um, non-displaced or minimally displaced fractures that we can treat closed. Um, And you're Right. right. Like any fracture, you know, the blood leaks out Uh, Fracture means that the the bone marrow leaks out. It can stick to tendons. It can stick to uh, ligaments and joints. Mm. And so therefore, you do worry about contractures or tightening of uh, the the ligaments. And so absolutely that the therapist, the hand therapist would put somebody uh, in a splint of in a position of function so that, that that optimizes their ability to use it. Uh, thereafter. Oh,
6: gosh, I I never heard that explanation that it's marrow that leaks on the broken bone that can cause that to freeze. Wow. So I guess when you look at a patient and you want to maximize their return to being free of pain and function, you think about which hand is it the dominant hand? What's their occupation? How did they sustain the injury? How much time lapse between the injury and when you're seeing that, because you have to worry about nerve damage Blood vessel damage, right? All those things. It's not just worrying about the bone. Your creative and experienced mind goes through that whole list. Yes.
7: Yes, and the, the, depending on the what trauma it is, certainly everything above the bone is also either bruised or contused or twisted. Uh, certainly, if there's associate lacerations, we worry about nerves and tendons being cut as well. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it really incorporates uh, a comprehensive look at all the parts that are right next to the bone that can be affected by the fracture or the injury as well. Absolutely.
6: Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like, I remember studying uh, the knee. And when, if somebody has a sore left knee, you think about checking an X-ray of their hips. Maybe the right hip is causing them to use their, you know, their sore right hip is causing them to lean on their left knee. And that's why they have knee pain. So when you look at somebody's joint, you're going to look above and below and see if any other injury is sustained other than just the, you know, the, the finger, I guess.
7: Yeah, that's um, exactly right
6: Yep, And I want to spend a little time, we have about a minute and a half left. What other injuries might need surgery? I, we didn't even get to talk about injuries of the tendons. Uh, I think that's important to address too. Sure.
7: Yeah. So um, tendons can be injured by uh, stress, right? So when you jam your your thumb or your finger into something uh, and you jam it real fast, uh, the tendon on on the back of your uh, finger uh, can rupture, and that's can be called a mallet finger. Um, mm. That's uh, where there's a drooping of the finger. Sometimes when mm-hmm. you uh, a jersey finger is when you grab somebody's football jersey and they pull away from you and that pull, oh. and that pulls your 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 bending uh, tendon and ruptures that. And so oh, um, that certainly can. Uh, occur as well. And, and for the most part, you know, those are um, the, the, the mallet fingers uh, are not usually not surgical, but the Jersey fingers are usually surgical.
6: Wow. So in one case, you can't straighten your finger. And then the other case, you can't flex it. That's
7: correct. Painful correct.
6: just to think about it. Yep. Rehab. Rehab is so vitally important. When I broke my own elbow, it hurt so much. There's a capsule in your elbow, right? Just like your knee. And when the fluid built up, I, I said, I don't care. I'm going to call myself Marianne, Napoleon, Richie. I'm never bending my elbow again. It just hurts too much. <laughs> but I had the rehab invaluable. Let's talk about rehab and the vital importance of that.
7: Yeah. So in restoring function, uh, therapy is equally important as the hand surgeon. I, I say it's teamwork. It's 50-50 we can put it back together. We can put plates and screws in and pins in. It looks perfect, but if it doesn't move, it's useless, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. that's where the therapists are there to increase motion, decrease swelling, uh, use all the modalities they can to increase strength. Uh, And and, and to your point about um, comfort, if they're not comfortable, they're not not moving it, they're not moving it, it, it gets swollen. So therapists are a vital vital part of a hand surgeon's world and they're an equal partner in the patient's restoration
6: and there are specific there are therapists who, who specifically focus on hand therapy yes
7: yes there's a certification they're actually called certified hand therapists they go through extra training to be a hand therapist
6: very important to know let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our wrap-up with dr moody clock
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
3: Your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems.
6: And as we wrap up on this week's topic of hand injuries, we bring you your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech. Moody, let's talk about when a patient should see a hand surgeon.
7: Um, so a lot of times um, they are referred to see hand surgeons by one of two types of doctors, family doctors that have seen them for their hand maladies. And, you know, it's just kind of not going, um, uh, improving. Uh, and so we'll see them as a recommendation by the family doctor. Uh, the other, obviously, path to seeing us would be the emergency room where something was injured, cut, Broken, um, they're they're temporized by a splint in the emergency room, and they would see us as well. And you know, hand surgeons are pretty comprehensive. Like you know, we we will see people for non-operative things and operative things, and so we we try to institute you know splinting, rest, therapy, um, and as a last resort, surgery. But we try to be comprehensive in our approach to restoring somebody's hand.
6: Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to emphasize that hand surgeons exist. I would guess most people know that but you're in such a special category. And uh, if you can maximize somebody's return to function and decrease their pain, it's really a gift. So if a patient sees you, what should they expect to happen?
7: Um, Well, they should expect us to treat them with a history and physical, to to listen to them really well, um, to examine them, uh, to get the imaging uh, during that visit. Um, A lot of times the imaging can be done at the ER but sometimes we need special views, so uh, we'll get uh, new uh, new x-rays. Uh, sometimes soft tissue dictates that we need to get an MRI, and we'll try to arrange for that to get the comprehensive look at the problem so that we don't miss anything. Um, and so we would certainly institute tests and imaging um, needed by whatever we find on their history and their exam.
6: Mm-hmm. Is there anything new and exciting that's Star Wars? I'm sure there's so many exciting advances in hand surgery.
7: I think that the uh, in this day and age, the, the biosciences are the, the, the greatest contribution. You know, we're, we're you know, we've we've been around where we know how to fix bones uh, with plates and screws and, and pins. We know how to put things together, but it, it really is the biotechnology of uh, perhaps growing uh, new uh, cartilage cells, right? Um, and, and kind of mediating how healing is with chemicals. Uh, and, and, and uh, for example, in the last 20 years, um, we've found that certain um, bone simulators can help bone grow faster. So, so these biotechnologies, mm. I think, really have been the, the greatest contribution within the last 10 to 20 years.
6: And as you said earlier, if your knee uh, is, you know, compared to brakes, when you lose that brake pad in between the, the end of the femur and the top of the uh, tibia, and it's bone on bone, not only does it hurt, it could become deformed. And if there were some uh, bio treatment that could help to regrow that cartilage, it would save a lot of pain and, and surgeries. Moody, what website might our listeners visit to learn more about what was discussed?
7: I think one of the most comprehensive websites would be the website for the American Society for Surgery of the Hand, which is www.assh.org. They have a lot of things on that website, including uh, how to search for a, a hand surgeon, as well as a lot of like informative things for patients.
6: So we're going to repeat that as the American Society of Surgery for the Hand, and that's assh assh.org Dr. Moody Quack, you are a superstar, and I want people to know that you see patients in Center City as well as where?
7: Um, I'm, I'm primarily up in uh, Abington, Willow Grove. Abington. And Bluebell. hmm Beautiful.
6: Dr. Moody Kwok, KWOK, from the Rothman Orthopedic Institute, thank you immeasurably. We've learned so much. Go Phillies. Thank you. Thank
9: you. <laughs> now,
3: real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. You've got the heart
6: of the and now for your real champion. I call this segment the Star Spangled Banner. The War of 1812 was the first large-scale test of the American Republic on the world stage. British soldiers invaded American soil, captured Washington, D.C., and even burned the White House. For the first time in our nation's history, we declared war on a foreign nation, Great Britain. A young lawyer named Francis Scott Key risked his own life sailing into the Baltimore Harbor to rescue a doctor friend whom the British accused of aiding in the arrest of British soldiers. Following the mission, Key witnessed the 25-hour British attack on Fort McHenry. During that rainy day and night, the fort's small storm flag, 17 by 25 feet, continued to fly, but on the next morning, the smaller flag was lowered and the larger garrison flag was raised, 30 by 42 feet. Inspired by victory and the sight of the large U.S. flag triumphantly waving or the land of the free and the home of the brave, the amateur poet was stirred by emotion and penned the words that became our national anthem. 1899, the U.S. officially adopted the Star Spangled Banner, and in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson ordered that it be played at military and other appropriate occasions. Two years later, played at the seventh inning stretch at the 1918 World Series but other evidence shows it was performed as early as 1897 at opening day of baseball season in Philadelphia. By 1931, Congress officially declared it as our national anthem. Since the end of World War II, it's opened NFL games, later national hockey, soccer, baseball, and basketball games. After September 11. Queen Elizabeth broke tradition and allowed our anthem to be performed at Buckingham Palace in support of Britain's ally. The next day, again at St. Paul's Cathedral, the Queen joined in singing the anthem, an unprecedented occurrence. With its wide range, the song can be especially difficult to sing, even for professionals. But most remarkable is the emotion that the words elicit. It reminds me to be grateful to all those who have served, including my dad, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and my nephew. We close the champion segment today with a very special rendition. The voice is that of a 14-year-old girl who began singing Big Five games at the Palestra at age nine, then for the 76ers, the Phillies, kick soccer, and multiple occasions, including the Republican National Convention, over 20 times a year, even through college. Now grown with a family of her own, she always considered it an honor to sing the anthem as a proud American. Why is this my personal favorite? Because it's the voice of my baby girl, Victoria Antoinette Teresa. And now we invite you to listen as we all salute the Star Spangled Banner, your real champion. <laughs>
9: So proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad strikes and bright stars through.
6: listening every Saturday at five o'clock here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen again to today's show or any of our shows on odyssey.com. It's a free app, audacy.com, and then search for your radio doctor. We thank our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and the support of Recovery Centers of America, Rothman Orthopedic Institute, and our newest partner, Genentech. Remember to sign up for Rock and Ride on August 20th to support Narberth Ambulance right here in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Each year on July 4th, we celebrate our nation's birthday, and you'll notice that our champion each week during July, we've highlighted the flag, several patriots, and our beautiful national anthem, United We Stand. If you have a champion in your family or community, tell us the story so we can share it. Write to info at yourradiadopter.net. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests, and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs, and all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.